Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for coming along our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Wermut, and joining me, as always, my two co-hosts, Jonathan Edwards and Scott Burleson. This time, we're going to try something a little different. Um, there's no guest, and we're going to take a philosophical perspective on jobs to be done. Some listeners will know that philosophy is quite dear to my heart and something that I've brought up here and there in the podcast. So today, we want to make these comments or hints uh, front and center and really take a philosophical view on jobs to be done. It's also worth noting that Scott and his book, Statue in the Stone, was basically the one that first connected us uh, and, and jobs to be done and philosophy. And it's the very reason I think we three found each other and, and started this whole adventure of the Product Quest podcast. So I think it's only fair to start with you, Scott. Scott, how did you or why did you bring kind of jobs to be done and philosoph philosophy together? Well, it's a good question. The um, I, I'll start with this. I never had the main reason for writing the book was really to under, better understand jobs you've done myself. So we start there. Yeah. And then the next thing was I had no, I had no desire to add anything to it. I just wanted to understand it. Okay. So anytime I added something or whatever, it was for my own use. It was for my, it was like, I felt like something needed to be there for myself. So yeah. I'm gonna back up a little bit. So when I, when I first read what customers want, from Tony Owen. And and so this was, I mean, I had read some Clayton Christensen. Well, let me back up even further. I'd read Clayton Christensen, you know, milk, milkshake marketing, all that, which I found was like super interesting, but I didn't really know what to do. I didn't like, what yeah. do I do tomorrow? What do I, you know, so I'm a product manager trying to build new tractors. I mean, I, it's just like, I, I didn't yeah. really know what to do with it. Uh, much less how do I use it to work with other people and help them to use it better? So it was, it was really just an idea. Yeah. And that was, and, and Christensen and Tony Owick both described it as jobs to be done theory. That always sound, I was like, that always sounded a little odd, but that, you know, Hey, that's the space. But anyway, so when I read what customers want, Oh, it was very much a process. Here's step mm. one. Here's step two. Here's yeah. what you do within each step. Now I know what to do. Now I know actions I can take. Uh, and so that really, without thinking about it a whole lot, that sort of got, I just sort of, that's what sort of got me to jump yeah. off the cliff, go deep <laughs> in executing this process. But even as I was doing that at the time, I'm thinking this is, it's, it's, um this is more than a process. It's, yeah. it's like, it's a process. Yes. Innovation process. But it's also a mindset, a way of thinking. And, and the mindset and way of thinking have value. The completely yeah. separate from the process. Like you could execute the process and you sort of you need the mindset to execute the process. But you could use the mindset and thinking yeah. to a productive end without using the process. So it was like there's like these two separate things that sort of interact, but 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 they're not. It's more than it's more than just a process. I really like this. So this you're positioning it between an idea and a process, or even a kind of even more than just these two things. Yeah, it's like together. It's it's more than that. But I was not super introspective about it at the time because I didn't need to be. I was just a practice. Yeah. 
actually I was less than a practitioner. I was a person who hired practitioners, uh, but I soon, very soon became one, but I still didn't need to wrestle with the, what it is because I didn't really have to explain it to anybody else other than the, in the simplest of terms, a customer hires a product to accomplish a job. Wow. Does that sound smart? And, and I did that. I explained that to a lot of people. In fact, I'll share this within John Deere. I made my own little presentation. And by the way, I can't explain, I can't emphasize enough how out of my character this was for me to do. What I did was I created my own little presentation on outcome driven innovation, really, which is Tony Owick's applied mm -hmm. jobs be done. And I set up appointments with executives all throughout the building. And I literally went door to door like a salesman or a, a, my a tenor my preacher with my <laughs> slide deck. And I would lay it out on the table and we'd, mm -hmm. I'd flip the pages and I'd answer their questions and we'd go through it. And, but the remarkable thing about that is that has how out of my character that is to do. I, I'm not... I'm some, I'm would be more comfortable with the engineers and other product managers. I'm not somebody that sought an audience. Mm -hmm. I'm not somebody that sought, Hey, I really am passionate about this yeah. change. I was, but I was passionate. I was so passionate about jobs we've done. I love talking about it so much that it sort of drove it. I sort of found myself exhibiting behaviors that as a, as an introvert, wasn't necessarily the most natural. <laughs> thing for me to do <laughs> but anyway but i didn't but I, but it all i always found it a little strange that it was called jobs be done theory yeah and uh because to me i think of the word theory in a couple different ways one is okay a theory is like an idea that i might prove or disprove or maybe that's too simplistic a theory that um i might gather evidence to help make the case for yeah. so i get up every day and I see the sun go across the sky. Okay. So I have a theory that the earth is at the center and the sun grows around the earth yeah. and that could gather, but it's a theory. And somebody else, then Jan and Jonathan, you guys have another theory. You say the earth goes around the sun. And then, so we sort of have these different theories. It's almost yeah. a, a, a hypothesis. And then we gather. And so that were in that sense, the word theory is not very helpful. That, that doesn't describe this jobs we've done at all. I don't think like, is it something we're trying to prove or gather evidence for that? I didn't really get that. And I guess the other use of the word theory is in, as in theoretical, let's um, so say like theoretical physics or, you know, which to me implies something you do on paper where theoretically, yeah, yeah. it's just theoretically, the if I jump out of a plane, yeah. my, my acceleration rate to the ground <laughs> is this. But in practice, there's whatever wind currents and other crazy things. So it's sort of like it's separated from what's practical. And that yeah. didn't make sense to me either, because it's very practical. If it's not, it's it's jobs you've done to me was very practical. It's something to help you get something done. But I didn't care about all that. I didn't care about it until at some point I did start to write a book and then I needed then I found myself caring about these words very much. Yeah. And so I, you know, with the purpose of the book was to understand jobs, the writing of the book was to understand jobs be done better. And so I would run across things where how something was used in practice, I didn't feel I didn't feel like it fit. And yeah. describing jobs be done as a theory, which which most of the uh, the top practitioner, the top thought leaders in the world, that's still what they would, that's still what they do. 
it just it didn't seem to fit for me. So the word philosophy. Um, and so I'm so I'm searching for a word, right? I'm searching for something yeah. to contain it. And in and so in in the word philosophy, which actually I just learned in today and sort of preparing for this, <laughs> means love of wisdom. I'd love to say that I knew that I, that was the inspiration at the time, <laughs> but that would be a bit of a that would have been your opportunity now. It's just that blend. would be a of bit of revisionist history. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep all that completely honest uh, about that. But so at the time. You know the word philosophy. It it could in it would. Well, I knew this much, like from Aristotle, that they the original philosophers were trying to do something practical and useful. Or at least that was my belief. They were trying mm. to understand the world, in a in and document it in a way that could be used, not just to talk about. Now again, you have a PhD in philosophy, so it's intimidating mm. for me as I'm describing this. Like, well, I, I could be saying the dumbest things ever. So I'll just. I'm not so what I'm saying might not even be right. It's just, just this is just my logic. Well, but, you know, but, you can have a PhD and still say dumb things. So <laughs> I guarantee you that's possible. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But um, I mean, it'd be like pre, it'd be like talking about a surgery to a surgeon. You know, I mean, this is we're, we're I'm stepping into your area of expertise. But 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 I knew this much that the original use of the word philosophy was to be practical and useful. Uh, that was at least my belief. And so I felt like the word philosophy could include this mindset, could include aspects of a process. It was something that could house it all together. Okay. And yeah. the, and I think I got a little bit lucky, to be honest, because when the more I've read about really the word philosophy, the more it, I, the more it fits. I mean, so... Yeah. It could have been I chose it, and then years later I thought of some reason. But I, the more I understand what's meant by that love of wisdom, uh, yeah. the, the more it, it seems like it fits to me. But it was, but the initial, the the initial annoyance that made me think, yeah. what should another word be, was that I did not feel that jobs that jobs done theory. I felt I thought that was and that Christensen. That's his phrasing, but I always felt that I, it didn't make it didn't work for me. It didn't it didn't suit it didn't fit my reality. So that was the initial reason okay. that I even thought yeah. to to come up with the word. That's nice. I really like your emphasis because because well, there is or there has been. I think times are changing in this respect. But the word philosophy also carries some kind of baggage. Uh, where exactly yeah. it is? Well, it's just yeah. it's just a philosophy or right. kind of. Well, it's something you do kind of Friday afternoon with the glass of wine kind of thing. So that's, yeah. and then we talk about philosophical stuff. It doesn't really matter. So, so that's why I really liked how you phrased this. It has these, it kind of, it, it encompasses practical and theoretical in a certain sense, or in a more interesting way than just being one of, one of the two. And I, I had a similar experience where I just think it's some thoughts or some ideas are just Kind of they start to spread into all different kinds of things and having a philosophy i think is is exactly that you start from a couple of things that you assume and it spreads into different areas of your life and i feel like jobs to be done has or at least had had that impact in, in in my in my view or my experience it started out as something that was mentioned in my job and then you kind of end up thinking about much 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 more things from but from the same basic principles and i think so that's why i really loved it when you started to connect connect those two so I don't, yeah. Jonathan, is that is had you had a similar experience, or how do you how do you see that? Well, yes, I mean my experience was very practical at first. I came to it through um, in my company that I had at the time. 
um, I was doing communication for for companies, and I quickly realized that the the most crucial and important task was to understand what a company was doing and what their value proposition was. And I recall very clearly thinking, this is really uh, a place where if we do something, uh, if we do this very efficiently and get the information out very efficiently, it would really improve the way we work. And in addition, it will it would allow us to um, expand, scale up and, and work with uh, partners where, with whom we could communicate better. And I, I remember thinking, okay, I've got two weeks where I didn't really have a project in 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 summer, and I thought, okay, I, I've got kind of an idea of um, how this might look, and I had this kind of vision of some kind of tree or graph or, or something where I could basically do an interview with a client, and I I really knew nothing about in, interviewing clients or or design or anything mm-hmm. at that time. It was just um, this vision I, I had where I would be able to take elements of what the, the the our clients would say about their business and basically be able to put them in kind of boxes and that would be kind of a uh, a backbone of our strategy going forward with this client and i remember very clearly thinking okay i've got kind of an idea i think really like in a few days i'll just do this and we we have this written down and i i, I quickly searched online for things like, okay, so what are the important categories that, what are the important boxes I need to fill? And I was thinking, okay, so, you know, I had these um, uh, buzz sentences in my mind, such as, um, you know, features don't sell, but benefits sell or something to that effect. So I thought, okay, so what's a benefit? And I started looking into that and I found all sorts of stuff on on online and nothing really nothing really clicked and then I thought okay I need to think about this myself and I started applying I mean having studied physics myself I I uh, I'm trained in that way so I I started applying these kinds of ways of looking at things with um okay we have different states and these states evolve and and so I kind of looked at that kind of stuff and so I started building this and obviously, needless to say, I, I never figured it out in the, that space of two weeks. Uh, it, it was much more work than I initially thought. Yeah. And I just started reading different books. And one of the books I read was uh, the uh, Value Proposition, Proposition Design, I forget the exact yeah. title, of uh, Osterwalder. Um and I, I I was a bit frustrated because I tried using it a bit on on some of our uh, projects. I was doing examples for myself as I was going through this process, and I was already asking, okay, what's a pain and a gain? Okay, it all makes sense, but when I actually tried to use it, yeah. I I wasn't able to really place things in a convincing way. It seemed a bit um, ad hoc, and I was just. Uh, I was a bit frustrated with the definitions. Let's put it this way. I wasn't quite sure how to use this. And I, and I saw there was the, for people who may recall this, uh, this canvas has two sides to it. Um, and on the offer side, you, you have the pains, the gains, and you had, it was written job. And I thought, oh, that's yeah. fine. What's this job? And I think there was a little kind of note at the bottom saying, uh, referencing uh, Tony Orwick's book. Yeah. 
And so I, I thought, oh, that's what is that job? So I went to look into it. And that's how I got to um, to Tony's work and uh, reading what customers want. And for me, it was immediately quite clear that that this was uh, very philosophical as a as a topic. Uh, the um, and maybe this is something we'll touch upon in our discussion. But for for me, the let's say the ontological aspects were very important that's how i started because i wanted to put these uh, make these different boxes which is a form of uh, yeah. ontology and um that's how that's how i got into it and i've been um you know trying to figure this out now for 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 some while and still still going <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think that's great. So, I mean, we'll touch upon a couple of things there. I had kind of also a, an immediate connection with jobs and philosophy that we'll touch upon once we get to Aristotle and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but but so I'll have to talk a little bit kind of and, and explore what maybe a philosophical perspective on jobs could be. And what I want to do is reconstruct jobs to be on as an argument so philosophy is very often about our arguments and if they're sound and then you kind of are the premises right and all that kind of stuff and i think it makes it easier for our discussion kind of to have something like okay what's the argument that the jobs to be done is all about what does it propose so i'll try to kind of give a or present it as an argument so it, it argues for a certain position and i think that argument has to do with the adoption of solutions so it's jobs to be, i will there you don't have to do it this way, but and, and Scott, you do it differently. But I think it's it's. I want to try to um, show how it actually connects to different things, such that it is a, a an argument for a certain kind of being able to predict adoption. Now that sounds a little bit abstract, but I think once we get into the the argumentation itself, and probably it's helpful if we put it in the description of the of the things that I can read it. So I'll present it as an argument, and then and then we dive into its its components. So that will be how we're going. To go about this. Okay. So, so you just stepped into your classroom, Dr. Vermouth. I'm ready, <laughs> oh ready to God. go. Ready up, up front. Please don't. Got my note. I'm ready to take notes. Let's go. <laughs> oh my God. And so I may okay. This makes me say one thing. So philosophy, everything is debated. And and I, I honestly mean that everything is debated, and that's what I like about it. So there's very little that we actually agree upon, and I think that's why I stick with it. There is maybe we all agree that Socrates was a philosopher, but all the rest is up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean everything. So, okay. Buddy. So here it goes. So the, so the core argument of jobs to be done. So I think the first the first kind of assumption or the first, uh, uh, yeah, the first assumption is this one of the first premise, if you like, is human beings want to achieve certain things. And within jobs to be done, we call these things a job. So human beings want to achieve certain things, call these things a job. To achieve them, so to achieve a job, they use different means and different means can allow them to achieve the same job. Now, call these means, call these things that allow them to achieve the job solutions. That's what we would call a solution. This is just what I'm doing now is, and you touched upon this, Jonathan, is just kind of putting labels onto, on, onto things or that's basically what ontology is. What things are there? So there is a job. That's the thing that a human beings wants to achieve. Then there is means or different means that allow them to achieve the job. And we call this a solution. We can always debate about the word, but we call this a solution. Now, some of those solutions are better, some are worse. Um, we decide and judge which are worse and which are better, depending on how well these solutions help us get the job done. 
So in, in, in relationship to the, how well they allow us to achieve the job, we judge how well the solutions are. I, I, will use, I will call this the utility of a solution. You know, that, that's maybe not a good word, but I'll call this a utility of a solution that's usually not used in jobs to be done. But okay, kind of the, the, the adaptness of a solution to achieve a certain jobs, I will call the utility of a solution. Now, for us, for humans to use new solutions, so to introduce a new solutions to achieve the job, the solutions must significantly improve getting the job done compared to how we get it done now. So this is where I kind of starting to sneak in innovation and adoption. So I'm making a difference between the way the job is achieved now and, and how new solutions are, are, are introduced in that kind of ecosystem of things that we already use. That only if, it, if the new solution is really significantly better at getting the job done, will there be something like adoption of a new solution. Now I think it, it gets even a little bit more spicier. So there is a way, or jobs to be on claims, there is a way to know, even maybe predict, and we can debate about this, but there is a way to know, even predict, if a new solution does get the job done significantly, significantly better or not. This depends on how well the solution performs against the set of criteria that we use to evaluate the utility of a new solutions, so solution. So there is a way to know if solution is good or bad in very simple terms. The way you to know this is measuring the solution against a set of criteria. And these criteria describe the utility or evaluate the utility of a solution. Now, ODI, for example, calls these outcomes. We call these job metrics. I think Christensen calls these success measures, metrics or something. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But these are the criteria that we use to evaluate the utility of a solution. And based on this, we know whether or not a new solution can get the job done significantly better or not. Now, again, we add a level of complexity as the next assumption. We, we human beings, we can express and know all our outcomes. I think that is something that we get in. So we, we I think jobs to be done does claim that they're, that customers are able to fully express how they evaluate solutions and how they um, evaluate the performance of a solution. Now, if, it's, if a new solution allows us to get the job done significantly better, which means performs better measured by the outcomes, we are much more likely to adopt it. So here I'm basically connecting the performance or the utility of a solution with getting a job done and adoption. So adoption occurs if, and only if, if you like, the solution gets the job done significantly better. And that we know by the criteria which we call outcomes or job metrics. Now, therefore, and that's kind of the conclusion or the, 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 the why I think it argues for an adoption. Therefore, with jobs to be done, it is possible to know if a new solution will be adopted um, to get a job done. And I think that is kind of the strongest, a very strong claim, if you like, or a very bold claim that the jobs to be done philosophy gives you a way to predict adoption. That's how I would, how we reconstruct it. Very so nice. Yeah. Yeah. No. Go on. <laughs> no, I I think you've laid it out really nicely, um, uh, and I think you've touched upon all the. Um, I don't see anything else to to add there. Um, the the last statement, and so the fact that uh, it's possible to know if a new solution will be adopted to get a job done. 
Um, I'm wondering, I mean, we are in terms of innovation, we obviously also want to create. So um, how, how would you think that fits in, um, in that list? So because for me, jobs to be done doesn't really tell us anything about how we can necessarily create the the solution. So it, there's the, there's always this gap between yeah. laying out what you've laid out here and actually creating the solution. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so so do I understand your question correctly? Like, is jobs been also something that that has a kind of claim about what a good solution? Or uh, how to go about inventing good solutions? Um, well, I, I actually don't think it do, it does really have a claim. I, I think it 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 provides a necessary necessary component of creating a yeah. valuable solution. But I don't think it says anything about how to go about creating the solution. It narrows yeah. the space. Um, but there is this gap between. Uh, I, I mean, this is also one of the. Yeah, uh, maybe underlying tenets, which uh, through the lines we can um, guess here is this idea that there are actually there's a separation between the problems and the um, yeah. the solutions. Um, so I, I think I would agree that there is. I mean, Jobsman is very strongly on kind of the if you like the problem side and and not on the solution. I think, however, what 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 is nice about jobs to be done is. It actually tells you what a what a solution is. It it's, it doesn't just equate it with well, it's technology or whatever. So it there is a kind of there is a notion of what it means for something to be a solution, and I think that is already helpful uh, in its own right, because a lot of times a solution we just equated with whatever we can create, and I don't think whatever we can, we can create is a solution. So we gotten used in innovation to talk about well, pro there's a there's problem and solution or problem market or problem whatever fit, and 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 I think jobs to be done has there a very strict idea of what a solution is, and what and kind of what is a problem or what is what is it that it the thing is a solution for, so and I think that is already really helpful, but I completely agree it I think it doesn't, uh, there is no prescription, about how to go about creating solutions. It tells you where good solutions make sense or new solutions make sense or how you would evaluate a new solution. But I don't think there is anything in there uh, that helps you create or come up with the good idea. In a, in a, in a, I don't know how you see this, Scott. Yeah, I mean, the limitations of it is what, how would I put this? Um, well, when working with companies, and they often don't want to hear the limitations of it, <laughs> which I am quite. Well, there is a selling side to it, and then there is a. Well, there is, but it's like it's not going to tell you yeah. what technologies are going to emerge because yes. who knows what, you know, because it's unknown. Some things are unknowable, practically yeah. speaking. I mean, maybe, you know, if you if you're literally. I mean, I, I'll come back to that unknowable. I think part of the reason it's unknowable is you don't really know how technologies are going to combine with each other. And um, yeah. I just I just think it's unknowable. And so it doesn't help you know something that's unknowable. Right. Yeah. But um, perhaps because 
perhaps maybe it's because those of us in jobs who done space, maybe we don't explain the limitations well enough because we're trying to make a living and sell and sell our you know sell our wares, if you will. But I, but when when people when companies sort of realize that oh it's not going to because they want to say we well, interview these customers and. It, and it, Oh, this is a real, this is a very real situation, but interview these customers and, <laughs> and essentially, yeah, what technologies are going to emerge and going to win. Yeah. And I'm like, they don't know. They have, they don't know. I can get that information. I can put a nice report, but I don't know how to t explain this to you. They do not have that information. You know yeah. who has it? Nobody has it. That's, yeah. that's who. Um, and so from that perspective, I mean, it's not something to be ashamed of because it's unknowable. But um, you know, and again, and I, I can I can back up and say that's just my position that it's unknowable. Maybe some, maybe it's just because it's not my area of expertise. But I, I, that's yeah. sort of my that's my personal position. Certainly, history is full of incredibly knowledgeable experts making terrible predictions yes <laughs> like the ceo of of microsoft like in 2006 i think something like that i, I could be off it was like the iphone's a fad you know it, it, i mean that's just one it's not the only example I, so maybe i'll beat up on oh i guess i'm beating up on microsoft twice but because bill gates i don't remember the number but he said like in the early 80s he said the, i don't remember the number but the maximum amount of memory anybody ever needs was yeah, like 32k yeah, yeah. or, or some mm -hmm. some crazy small but there's lots of those stories and we like to tell them and i like to tell them not to embarrass the people well maybe they're, i mean not i mean not to embarrass the people but there's a moral there that no matter how much knowledge we have you know when it comes to the solution part of it you know yeah. we should keep our ears open we you know just keep your keep up with what's evolving but you're not going to interview customers and they're, they're not going to tell you. Yeah. They're not good. They're good. There's, and again, I, I don't usually say they can't tell you what I say is they're reliable or unreliable. So they're reliable about what their problems are. They're reliable yeah. about what they're experienced. They're reliable about what they're interested in. They are not reliable about what technologies are going to emerge. And so, yeah. but having said that, jobs you done can be quite useful in understanding what criteria technologies will be judged against at least yes. in the shorter term right and as you said jan i mean customers will gravitate and i believe this toward the product the solution that gets the job done the best all else yep. being equal all else is never equal anyway that's that's, <laughs> that's this gets complicated real fast but all else being yes. equal they will gravitate to the solution yep. that accomplishes the job, um, the job, the best. So if you if you study a job and you understand the outcomes or error statements, however you word it, those criteria that they're going to use to evaluate how well the job's done. Yeah. Now you have some objective information to evaluate um, technologies. But again, you, it's hard to know, or, or I think it's still unknowable how other technologies are going to overlay and multiply times each other. Yeah. And the thing that's that's a that's pain today, it might not be a pain a year from now. Yeah. So it's so it's all emotion. So it's helpful, but it's not going to answer that question of what what AI is going to do. Yeah. Uh, 
So I really like, I think there is, so a lot of what you're doing is making a lot of distinctions and, and philosophy is, I don't know, 80% making distinctions. And I think there, you made a distinction there that's really important that if I'm confronted with that question, I answer in this way. So there is, there is a question about the emergence of technology. Like you, where does AI come from? And they've, and I don't think Jobs Done has anything to say about, about this. Just nobody knows. I mean, go back three years or two years or even less. Nobody would have predicted the way AI, okay, maybe there are a few nerds here and there, but in general, we we wouldn't have known. Nobody would have known. And you cannot predict the emergence of new technology. That's just, that's kind of a different field altogether. And it just, it happens. But then there is a second aspect and that's, and that's the, again, going back to, to, to the way I view it, it's the adoption of technology. Yeah. I think what very often, and that job Sibidon tells you is very often we, we, implicitly without realizing it make the assumption that great new technology will lead to adoption and i just don't think that's true <laughs> unfortunately that is not true i think it's the other way around it's kind of adoption that drives technology and their jobs to be done has something to say so so whatever new tech is coming out and whatever new tech is 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 being put on the market jobs to be done gives you at least a way to evaluate the probability of it sticking in the market or not. If you would really do, a bit, like really go deep on understanding what the job, for example, is. I think AI is a beautiful case where you can see, well, hey, somehow this changes how we search for information or how we find answers online. At least that it's, that's the behavior. It changed for me. I'm much more likely now to go to ChatGPT and all that kind of stuff than to go to Google. So the job, get answering a question or get an answer to a question, is something that's just done better, or some of the questions is done better with AI now than with Google. So, so there is this aspect of, say, of saying, hey, what are kind of the fields of adoption? Now, this sounds in theory very easy. In practice, this is very, very difficult to actually do, kind of go from technology to the job. But I think there is something to say. But you're absolutely right. I think about the question of what technology will there be in five years? Jobs done has nothing, I think nothing to add, nothing to say. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say nothing because at least it okay, gives you the enough. right at least it gives you the right questions. Yeah. At least okay. for finding information, you know, or getting the answer to a question. You can say this this and this is a little bit of a circular argument, maybe, but the, you know, the the solution that will best help you to get the answer to the question. I mean, so you, at least you sort of have, you know, yeah. if you're Sherlock Holmes, you have you have some clues, like you have something. You have it's, but it's not everything and it's not i don't even know how much is but it's at least it's something but i but you you made a great point that i want to i want to comment on otherwise we'll get on to something else and i'll forget you said see if i can word it word it correctly you said it's not that the better solution drives adoption but it's adoption drives the technology yeah and the example that you made me think about by a while ago, I also I said, you know, the market will adopt the best solution, all things being equal. Yeah. So here's a case where all things were not equal. The um, back in the 70s, when Sony came out with Betamax, this is sort of a famous story, right? And Matsushita came out with VHS, and they in in the Sony, I'm not going to know all the details, but it was superior. I think it's it, the 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 tapes were smaller. That's a better attribute. Um, and the, the video image, I think, was crisper, but it was technically superior to mm. VHS. But Matt, but but Sony said, we're going to lock it down. It's very proprietary. 
you know, as opposed to VH, their technology. So only Sony could make Sony machines. Only Sony could make or license the tapes. Where Matsushita just, they said, we're going to sit, we're going to license the technology. We'll make it, but anybody can make it. And so the adoption of yeah. VHS style just exploded against the, so it won versus a quote superior technology. Yeah. But again, it's because all else wasn't equal. It was because the the marketing was was Sony lost a marketing war with a superior product. Uh, so in that case, yeah. I mean exactly what you said. Adoption drove the technology, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean the Matsushita's engineers did a better job. Actually, Sony's engineers <laughs> did a better job. Yeah. They the, the the fact that they did a better job with that technology is, is not a negative. It just wasn't enough. Right. Yes. I mean, at that yeah. point in time, if Sony had pursued that same strategy, yeah. then they would have beaten VHS, uh, if that makes sense. So it's so it's like both things, both things are true at once. It's better. It's still better to have a solution that it helps you do the job better. That's still better. But then it, but then that does. There's other things in play as yeah. far as who actually wins. But here's the thing, I think. Here's the beautiful thing that you kind of had these two. You mentioned these two things that that are that are moving all the time, and I think kind of technical superiority and superiority in terms of getting the job done is not necessarily the same. And I think that is the key the key insight. So the pure technical superiority is not necessarily connected. There is no direct line to it being better at getting the job done. Now, if everything being equal, a superior product, a superior technological product is very much likely to get the job done better but that's not always the case so it's not all it doesn't always make always make sense to go after a technologically more superior product if all else isn't equal which usually yeah. is the case I mean, and one of the outcomes mm -hmm. is certainly just the cost yeah. right yeah, so sure. yeah. when somebody's comparing vhs to a betamax yeah. machine that's one we usually don't talk about cost as much um yeah. but it's Sort of important, isn't it? They uh, and so if you're if, when people were comparing those two, they weren't compare. You know, they're so they're evaluating which matters more to me: this cheaper machine with a bigger cassette, or this uh, expensive machine and it's a little bit smaller. Ah, I'll pay. I'll pay. But they would have still that doesn't. They still would have preferred the smaller one, but it just couldn't outweigh yeah. the the network effects that they gained. Um, yeah. And so the re the reason I, I like spinning through this is, is sometimes people will dismiss the fact that it was a better product, um, but that's okay. that was still a pot that was still if you that was still a point in Sony's favor. The, the fact that they didn't capitalize on it, it would not have helped them to have a a worse product, right? In yeah. fact, that's probably <laughs> that's the, only, the only reason we yeah. have this. We're, the only reason we're talking about something from forty five years ago is it's an example of where the better product didn't win. That's the only reason it's an interesting story. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so um, there is something that you touched upon like how do how do how do kind of humans evaluate solutions. And I think Jobson does have kind of a claim about this. And and maybe it's good that we that we jump into that topic so in of kind sure. of more this yeah. What kind of anthropological, well, there's going to be a couple of words that I'm going to have a hard time pronouncing, but anthropological is one. So kind of what, what it states about 
being a human being in this in a certain sense and i think the first claim um, that i made or the first sentence that i read was human beings want to achieve certain things call these things a job and and that's so there is a long tradition of philosophical anthropology which is basically which is nothing else than asking the question in a in a philosophical way whatever that means that's a separate discussion i'm not going to have but asking in a, in a philosophical sense the question of what what it is to be human so or what is a human being mm. or what kind of defines yeah. a human being so yeah. If you want to go deeper into that, it's philosophical anthropology. Anthropology, it's everywhere, and there is and there is different, different, a thousand different strands. But that's kind of where you where you want to go to. So, and I think what what Jobs Budan says there is this claim that humans are in a certain sense purpose driven. They go after goals. Um, they kind of arrange their behavior in terms of wanting to achieve stuff. So, in the broadest sense, and all I want to do as a kind of a discussion starter is is pick a little bit on, on 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 a couple of points from philosophy that kind of speak kind of make a pro argument about this and, and maybe as how would you counter this how would you how would you um, um, critique that idea and I think we, we see both also in the innovation world so on the pro side I think there is a, 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 starting with the Greeks and even before probably there's a long tradition in philosophy to define or even think of human beings as or what it means to be human is is to be a rational creature so in comparison to animals for example we have something more which is our reason or ability to reason or language and language and reasoning go together so we are rational creatures and for the purposes here i think rationality i mean that in itself is a debate what it really is and what does it mean to be a rational uh, human and how to act rationally but i think for us we can just say okay it's kind of rationality has to do with the ability to choose the right means to achieve a goal so you would say you would say somebody is irrational if, for example, they say, "Well, at the moment it's hot in Switzerland. I feel hot." Uh, then they jump into the lake. That you would say, "Okay, that's I can that's a rational way of cooling down." However, if you say uh, somebody says, I'm, "I'm I'm feeling hot," and they would start picking out I don't know a heater and stand in front of it, you would doubt like they're not. So I want to cool down, but I'm going into the sauna, for example. So there is something off about the relationship between what they want to achieve and the, th and the way they want to achieve it. And that the second one is probably what we would call irrational behavior. That's, it doesn't make sense. Right. So, so I think in a, in a sense, jobs we done does start with, or has that claim in it where it says, well, human beings are rational. There, there is a rational part to human beings. And it's exactly that relationship between kind of, the things they choose to achieve, the goals and the goals, and that and that 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 somehow falls in line. So, what I would comment on that is the the fact that I I think one thing that's often overlooked and including I would argue in jobs to be done is is how people actually choose the goals. So, is is oh, nice. that in 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 philosophy is uh, is that part of the rash, rationality discussion? So. Um, yeah you know, the, the fact that people are actually choosing the goals and how they do that. Okay. So here I'm going to chicken out a little bit because that's a huge, huge debate. But the one standard uh, answer to this could be the difference between being rational and being reasonable. Now, being irrational means just as, at least the way I define it is having a, having a, 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 a meaningful relationship between the goals and the means, a sensible relationship between the goals and the means. So for example, if you want to say, well, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic or I really want to get wasted, then you could say drinking a lot of, of beer is a rational way to pursue the goal. 
it doesn't judge any, it doesn't say anything about the goal. The goal is the goal. It's just about the relationship between the means and, and the ends, if you want. Now, reasonable, being reasonable is a different thing. There you can ask the question, is it reasonable to have the desire to, to get drunk? Now, that's a different story. So there is very often this debate, at least that's more in the uh, um, kind of political philosophy, where they're asking the question of, of, of a difference between rationality and, and being reasonable. For example, you could say, well, in Switzerland, there is a lot of uh, public transportation, for example, and it's not 100% controlled. So it's not all the time that, you, that, that they test, if, they check if you have a ticket or not. So in terms of rationality, if you just look at it from a purely rational point of view, if there is such a thing, is it would make sense to not buy a ticket most of the time. Right? Because the probability that you get caught is smaller. So the fine that you will have to pay is probably smaller if you travel a lot. It, then it, so you see what I mean, but is that reasonable? So there is another way of kind of be of being rational in brackets, which we which usually in philosophy is called being reasonable, where you, where you would argue in a different way and say, hey, not paying for a ticket kind of destroys the ability in, in the future to even take public transportation. Public transportation relies as a system on people paying their tickets, even if they're not checked all the time. Mm. So there is these two different things. And I think jobs to be done is, is stronger on the rational side. I don't think that, that there is any kind of evaluation of the goals itself or a kind of a, it, it, we're open, whatever the, whatever, getting a sugar rush or a nicotine hit, that's a goal that you want to achieve. And there is means to get there. I don't but, think there is any kind of stance on this. And there are goals, and a lot of the goals that people pursue are not reasonable. So, <laughs> but, but does uh, re reasonableness reduce to rationality, and does that bring us back to this hierarchy of um, of jobs of jobs and goals that people talk a lot about? Um, uh, so you don't believe you, we can reduce reasonableness to rationality? I mean, if you look higher, at, so the um, for public transportation i might have a goal to maintain a good public transport yeah. system and then i have a conflict it's, it's up for debate um if if you're interested in that kind of question i and, and especially somebody who would strongly argue for that connection that that reasonableness reduces your rationality would be immanuel kant so deontological philosophy if you like so they would say that uh and, and kant tries to do this put these two things together so that a purely rational human being would also be the kind of a morally superior that kind of that's always the morally better choice to go. In recent years, or well, even before, that is just it's just heavily debated. But somebody, so somebody who would believe that rationality or no, reasonableness reduces rationality, that will become. I myself have strong doubts, but that's that's where you would want to go to. But that's a whole <laughs> different debate. Because what I find quite interesting also is that somehow for me, reasonableness connects to more values and ethics yeah. and, and rationality, as you mentioned, does not say anything about the ethical value of, of the particular goal you're going yeah. for. Um, and there's this, uh, I'm not at all a philosopher, but this is one of the like buzz sentences that I've heard before is this idea that, uh, uh, you know, you oughts and wants are not the same. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so 
here basically we this is what we're saying then if i understand correctly that the um what what you ought to do cannot reduce to what yeah. uh, you you want to do yeah 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 i mean it, okay so here's here's my view on this you can, i think you can see this in in the behavior of human beings i mean look at sustainability i think it's fair to say that it's rather rational to be sustainable probably i don't know is it reasonable there is a, there's a whole whole different debate but but i think in the behaviors you can just see that sometimes we consciously go against we consciously willingly knowingly go against um rational reasons at least i do so i don't know i used to smoke and i don't smoke anymore so that was probably a rational decision to quit but i used to do it and i used to like it that's just i and, and it was not a question of knowing whether it is rational to smoke i knew that this is is, is not a very smart thing to do so anyway but that's uh, that's a whole different debate and i and i think some people believe that they're the same thing so you can reduce reasonableness to rationality most i would say now don't believe this but but who am i to say so i don't know <laughs> i saw a twitter poll just over the weekend had thousands of votes said are people rational or irrational mm. i voted for rational in this with thousands okay. of votes. I said rational, not your, I said rational in thousands yeah. of votes. Me, I was part of the 3% that voted for <laughs> rational 97% voted irrational. Yeah. And uh, certainly in the early days of philosophy, uh, uh, it was sort of assumed people were rational goal seeking, but today, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. without any, any logical case that I've ever heard, people say people just assume customers are irrational, and also that they don't make decisions with emotion. Now we're, we're conflating a couple of things, so I don't want to get into that quite. No, yet. but that's good. I think I think that is that's that's exactly the critique, probably that many also bring against jobs to be done. But, but let's go back irrationality to your, of people. Yeah, yeah sorry. As, as you guys know, and one of my chapters is the rational customer. And yeah. if somebody will make a case to me that people are irrational, I'm all ears. I've yet to hear it. And I've, but I'll, let's go to your smoking example. And I was I was curious about your definition of rationality. So I sort of scribbled it down. A sensible re relationship. Oh, wait. Uh, ability to choose the right means to achieve a goal is what I wrote down. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were when you were so somebody would have looked at the former Jan uh, and said, "Watch you smoking a cigarette," and go, "Wow, what an irrational decision." But let me ask you a question: Why were you Why were you smoking? Uh, who? Okay, now, uh, well, I think I mean, it, it doesn't have to be the reason. Just the feeling. No, no, no. gave me so the nicotine rush. It, that's. A beautiful nicotine experience. rush enjoyment the taste the nicotine. weirdly enough to taste enjoy uh, the taste say the same thing but the taste yeah uh kind of the socializing social um what else uh, well, actually we're good right there look cool you just so. described <laughs> yeah. just in in four seconds you described three goals that it yeah. helped you to achieve you made a rational decision to choose that cigarette to achieve three goals and 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 we could probably go on the nicotine how did that help you and, and social i mean yeah. i mean that's that's like one of the you know the mm. in the market the hierarchy of needs you know social belonging yeah. Yeah, the ability yeah. to belong to a tribe that's a 
That's a completely, by my crazy way of thinking, a completely rational decision to choose the cigarette to achieve those goals. Yeah. So when when in every example I've ever ever heard where somebody makes the case where people are irrational, the flaw they make is they apply their own judgment system to another person. Yeah. And they say, well, I want to live to be, uh, you know, I want to see my grandchildren. Yeah. I want to go to my grandchildren's wedding. So I, I, I wouldn't smoke. But guess what? They just described their goal. Yeah. <laughs> they described yeah. their goal. And so the um, the definition of rationality way back to my economics class was described. I, I like your definition better by the way, but it was, I remember it, it was like people respond to incentives, but actually I think you're, yeah, you're definitely, yeah. so, which, which is to say you avoid pain and you go toward pleasure. Yeah. I mean, the example I, I use a lot, I, the cigarettes is a great one, but also a donut. I mean, if I eat a donut sure. right now, you know, I, I made that decision for a reason It might not be other people might, you know, yeah. even, even I might yeah. have conflicting goals, but that's, but yeah. the point yeah. is it helped me to accomplish something. Yes. Now, Dan Ariely, do you guys know Dan Ariely? Yes. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. He's uh, got his book here. What's yeah. it? He's um, a brilliant guy. And so I'm yeah. always, I'm always, I get, I'm always, um, even as I'm stammering my word, just as I do now, I describe <laughs> his work because I learned a ton from it. Man, he's a, yeah. a super guy. I did great research, but his yeah. book's called Predictably Irrational. So I read all of his studies and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And it's like, we're like on this, if we were like in the classroom together, we're like, yeah, that's awesome. And then he would say, therefore they're irrational. And I'm like, whoa, hold on. Yeah, I, I agree that's with one you step too far. <laughs> until your conclusion. Now, a yeah. couple of, one of the examples was it had to do with chocolates and he had yeah. one cent Hershey's chocolate. And you had 15, actually, I'm gonna come back to that one. We'll come back to that one. Sorry. One of the one of the examples was about uh tickets to a basketball game. And it's like the tick, I'm, I'm gonna have the numbers off. So just order a magnitude. Whatever is, it, yeah. Right. So it's like the tickets cost two hundred dollars. Hmm. Okay. But if you gave somebody a ticket, then then they would they wouldn't get they would not sell it for any less than like two thousand dollars. And he says, therefore, the and he waves, therefore, I pronounce them uh, irrational. But he's sort of overlooking. Like, once I have something, it's, it's like, what jobs does this help me to accomplish? What about the what about the enjoyment that I won something? That's hmm. like, and, and so now I, you're, before, if I'm just buying the ticket, I'm purchasing the right to go sit in a seat and watch a basketball game. But now that I've won something, there's that, that, like that's accomplishing additional things. I'm like, goal. wow, this yeah. is so cool. Now I'm going to enjoy my prize. And yet, so I place a higher value on you on getting rid of that winning than just to attend. So to me, it was amazing research. With the, and then it's like he lost it. At the, like he missed <laughs> the great conclusion. Now his book is called Predictably Irrationally, so maybe it wanted to, pr to prove that. The, the other example yeah. that I was going into was the Hershey's chocolate. You guys are in Switzerland, so it's Hershey's on one side. I think it was Lent on the other side, and it's like you could. It looked. At, would you buy a one cent Hershey's Kiss or a fifteen cent uh, Lent chocolate? Okay, yeah. and then it was like it was like seventy percent would uh, pay fifteen cents for the Lent, uh, whatever thirty percent for the one cent chocolate. And then he reduced them both by a penny. So now the Hershey's is free 
and the lint is 14 cent. And um, in reality, you'd say, well, see, we just reduced it by one. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot the conclusion. But then the preferences switch. So now 70% are buy, are taking the free Hershey's. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and so, and then Ariali <clears throat> says, see, their people are irrational. Once again, I re we reduced it by one, just one cent, the same amount for either yeah. chocolate. Uh, and yeah, now yeah, by that same, story. now they flipped. <clears throat> and I'm like, that's one way, but. But you, but one thing went to free. You reduced <laughs> it, you know, a hundred percent. The other one, one went down seven percent. The other one went went down a hundred percent. And so free sort of has a, you know, if you think of a value as benefits over price, well, for something that's free, value sort of goes to infinity. Yeah. And so I, I felt like it was. You know, so it's a study after you got all these studies on there. Each are like super interesting, but none of them convinced me that people are <laughs> rational. And so is, what's so interesting about this is how in, in business and in whatever this people are irrational is just so accepted. It's very strong. Yeah. And I've yet to hear I've I, I'm still listening. I'm still open to it. <laughs> But I, I've but every time they make the the most common error, it's it's they assign their own with a cigarette with you, Jan. Yeah. Like if I were to judge you on that, I'm assign I'm taking my value system and evaluating you on that. Yeah. Jobs to yeah. be done, it it, <clears throat> it gets you out of that predicament, right? Because yeah. your your opinion doesn't matter. It's only customers. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is just sort of this. With the tickets, it's just not taking everything into account. Like this benefit of I won something, it's yeah. dismissing that as value or reducing the price of one thing 100% versus 7%. It's just sort of, so it's a sort of a simplistic conclude simplistic yeah. just with the predetermined. Uh, we already know that we're going to show people are, are irrational. So we're going to run a bunch of studies and we're going to conclude. I, I really feel terrible saying this because I love the book. I absolutely love his thinking. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah. I we yeah. agree on like up to his conclusions. And then I'm like, I no, you're so, I disagree. <laughs> there's one thing I want to I want to just quickly elaborate on. So, sorry, it's, it's a, because I think the, the the philosophical point behind it is worth spreading. And I think that is very often an error well, or a confusion that is around. And you so you you said this there is kind of applying your own system of values to somebody else. Yeah. And 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 for me, kind of the, the philosophical error behind it, I'm trying to make this as, as clear as I can, is it's a very different thing to think of rationality as a behavior of people and calling people rational or ir irrational. And that's what I tried to do. So kind of going through, going defining rationality as a, as a, as a relationship between means and en ends, basically. Hmm? Things you want to achieve and things yeah. that get you there. Right. Then you start talking about do our, is, is, as a behavior, do people behave rationally or not? Mm. There, I think people, yes, strongly rational. Now, there is very often a mistake of confusing this kind of understanding of rationality with is, to, is believing the statement X to be true rational or not? So, for example, uh, I don't know, Earth is, let's take something I hope not too controversial. The Earth is flat. Hmm? Let's assume we all agree that that uh, the earth isn't flat, but it's round, more or less. So um, there are people that would say, 
believing the statement the earth is flat to be true is irrational. Now, but go back a couple of hundreds of years and people had great reasons that made them believe that the earth is flat. You mentioned the sun going up and down. So the sun kind of moving along the horizon is, an, if you don't know the rest of it, is evidence for it that the earth doesn't move. There, it's direct sensible evidence that the earth does move. So it's, if you just have that kind of information available to you, it would be very irrational to conclude that the earth is moving and the sun stays still. So if you don't know any, let's go back a thousand years into, well, or more than that, Greeks already knew that that wasn't the case. But so if you don't know, if you don't have other information available, it would be quite irrational looking at the sun to think that the, that the earth moves and the sun stays still. Just based on that knowledge. Now we have much more knowledge, so we come to a different conclusion. So, And I think these two get very often confused. Today, we, we very often say, and that's probably where Dan also goes, is believing certain statements to be true or false is linked to being rational or not. And that's where you get all these different debates also in, in, in the political sphere, where somebody else, believe, somebody else believes a different kind of thing to be true, and you call them irrational. But maybe, based on the evidence that they have, the knowledge that they have, they came to a different conclusion, which could be a, an outcome of a rational process. And look at, I mean, this is, okay, I don't want to defend flat earthers, but look at them. Most of them are really trying empirically to find out. So I, they, they might come to a different conclusion, but the way they go about this is up to a certain extent, of course, but up to a certain extent, it has similarity to go approaching the problem rationally. So the, the philosophical distinction behind it is, is ascribing rationality or thinking about rationality as a kind of behavior, connecting means and ends, or then thinking about rationality in terms of believing things to be true or false. And I think these two things get mixed all the time. So, so and I'm much more leaning on, on rationality, trying to define rationality as a way of behaving. Mm. And then you end up, I think, with the view that you explained, Scott, so that people in general know very well how to choose their means to get to an end. Sometimes better, sometimes worse, but in general, they have that ability. And that's what I would call being rational. Yeah, I think those, if it would, to me that if, yeah, when I say rational, I'm totally talking about the behavior. I see what you mean about the belief. Even if it's the same word, to me, those are completely different concepts, even if they yeah. are the same word. Yeah. But I tell you, just sort of a, well, because because if some because really somebody is saying I'm taking the knowledge that I have and I'm coming to a conclusion, somebody else is saying, well, I'm taking the knowledge I have and your conclusion's wrong. So they could both be staring at each other, yeah, accusing each other of being quote irrational, but it's a completely different meaning of, of this behavioral thing. I mean, yeah. a little fun thing if you want to go down a little rabbit hole. Is there's there's a, a a group of people that you know say the moon landing is was fake, yeah, and you know it really sounds funny, but read some of the things they say. They actually <laughs> have like some very interest. I mean, it's not they have some very when the it's like you laugh at it when the more you, now I'm gonna all of a sudden disappear, uh, get taken out by the CIA or something. But when, when you read about it, it's like, Oh, I mean, they have very compelling. Yeah. I put evidence in quotes, uh, 
for for their case. And that's the information they have. And my goodness, over the last, so this, you know, with coming out of the pandemic, you know, things that were things changed, you know, <laughs> that were true all of a sudden that you couldn't even say, you couldn't even you couldn't even pontificate about something not being true. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, uh, you couldn't even, you couldn't even suggest something was it. So there was like debate was squashed. So the trust was very low and yeah. the trust of information was very low. Hmm. So naturally people are going to have very different opinions, but, but I, to me, that's just a completely different. Yeah. It, it's like, it almost should be another word. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's about knowledge. It's about yeah. facts, and it's. Uh, I think what I also wanted to touch upon is uh, on on these the rationality um, in the economic sense. Uh, a lot of this work has been done where basically you're looking at a different um, uh, different bets you can do. So you have two choices. You've got a thirty percent chance of uh winning a hundred francs or a hundred dollars and you have a you know a 50 percent chance of uh, losing this much which which option do you choose um and that's a very specific kind of of situation also that i don't think uh we encounter much in real life and a lot of these including the work that uh, uh kahneman and and co have done on on this kind of stuff uh, um, is 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 often relating to these kind of of choices, um, and um, so I and I think we wanted to talk about that also in terms of the um, the uh, the amount of knowledge we we have. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to point out is that some of these quote unquote ir irrational behaviors are due to to actually due to some evolutionary um, developments that in humans so for example the well-known cost aversion is is not that irrational because uh you know if you lose you, you can only die once right i mean so if if you if you die it's it's finished so it's normal that you would you would um um weigh more put yeah. more weight on 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 losing than on on winning for instance yeah so I, I think there's a lot of confusion in in the definition of the word rational, and I think a lot of people don't uh, use the same definitions necessarily. I yeah. think there's also an interesting thing relating to long-term and short-term uh, objectives. So if we go back to the smoking example, I think the uh, uh, people will often say, okay, long-term is more reasonable. Uh, uh, but you're you're basically comparing two very different things. You're com comparing a long-term goal and a short-term yeah. goal, and this comes down to each and everyone's individual values and what they what they want to yeah. put forward. Now, I just want to want to kind of put out or, or highlight one thing that you said because that gets you down a completely different rabbit hole that we shouldn't. But usually there is this association between being irrational as being as being good for you and being irrational as being bad for you. Yeah. Now that's a very ingrained belief or in general. Right. Now, if you want to have those things confused for you, and I encourage you to do so, read some Nietzsche. So <laughs> there is that you will see about the purpose of irrationality or, or or really the advantage of irrationality, even compared to being rational. In so but but I think you're exactly right. So there is this attachment of, of rationality as being something good. And, and there is a, an argument to be made 
that irrationality in certain circumstances is a good thing, is a good thing for you even, or even, even kind of helps you shortcut an otherwise extremely complicated process that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to, to kind of to, to see through in, ra in a rational way. Hmm. Okay. Sorry, go on. No, I was, I was also thinking when you were discussing these different uh, um, situations where people might be irrational, I wondered what you guys were thinking about. I think it was in the book Nudge, or it could have also been in Dan Arely's book. I don't remember exactly, but there was this idea of the uh, the menu and having different kinds of prices, and it's a, it's this notion of framing. And how you, depending on how you frame something, people make different decisions. So uh, there was, if, if I remember correctly, this menu they they had some scoot, some uh, mopeds, scooters, or motorbikes, small motorbikes that were on the pizza menu, that were worth of of course much more than the the other items on the menu. And and what they realized is people were actually more willing to buy more expensive stuff because the 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 frame had been put higher. So um, that it's true. It's hard to it, it's hard to just completely put that aside and and not see this as some form of irrational behavior. But there's probably some hacking of some some kind of evolutionary. Um, uh, pro, pro behavior that we developed uh, over time to 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 cope. Uh, mm, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about that example, for example? Well, you remind me of another. It's almost. I think if you list out all the, like the if if there were attorneys fighting it out, and there's a group of attorneys making the case for irrationality, I think there's a finite list of their of their arguments. And you mentioned another one of them, Jonathan, which I'll. Which is like you know people buying in the U.S. We we I don't know if you guys have this in Europe. But we have lottery tickets where people sure. like the but sponsored by the government. What's weird? Like there's all this you know be careful about gambling. Sports gambling's bad, but but the government will sell you lottery tickets. You know which is which is hmm. like also gambling. It's free taxes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and so but and so the point is well, wow, all these poor people, especially. So that's the that's really the shame of it. It's a lot of shame of it, but one of the shames of it is it, it tends to the poorest people that can least afford yeah. it tend to be the ones yeah. that buy these lottery tickets. And it's just you you can't ascribe to rationality what is just bad at math. <laughs> like they're making an incorrect because if you just look at a lottery commercial at a lottery commercial, are they giving you like are they giving you oh, good yeah. information to make a financial decision? No. It's like you can't win if you don't play. Here's John. Here's Francis. Here's this person. Here's all these lottery and how it changed their life. You know, it's a yeah. deceptive um, advertisement making the cost to corrupt, to, to confuse people on the idea of cost benefit of this purchase. And so this, per this person is, in my mind, rationally using this uh, information that has that has been um has not been prevented fairly so they're bad at they're bad at math and uh so they make a they make an incorrect decision that actually would not be in line with their goals their goals presumably to increase their uh their uh, wealth um but that they think they're making a decision to increase their wealth because they've yeah. been fooled and because they're they're not able they're not they're not good at math uh 
Uh, or, yeah. or, or they might just like the kick of, of or that. Know, That's right. The hope, so a completely the, separate hope, thing, yeah. or they might just like for for the group. It's like it's just a game. I'm playing. So like people go to Vegas, or you know, and they'll say, "All right, oh yeah, I'm gonna take two hundred dollars, and <clears throat> if I when that two hundred dollars is gone, it's gone. But it's but I'm buying two hundred dollars worth of entertainment. Now that's a pretty uh, yeah. advanced way of thinking because in that case, somebody somebody they're self-aware enough to know that they might start making these bad decisions because because it's so in, enticing but they're they're sort of they're they're putting a, a constraint to keep them from getting in trouble because they know the environment is all going to yeah. be everything's going to be against them like they're going to be feeding them <laughs> free drinks you know yeah um but yes yeah, so i think the people who are bad at math and then we look at we look at their assessment and say look they made a you know, and then conclude they're rational. No, they they thought that ten dollar raffle ticket or lottery ticket, you know, had, you know, in some in whatever kind of equation, whatever their logic was, had a value. They thought they were buying something that was worth more than ten dollars, yeah. and and honestly, if if they lose, ten dollars is gone. But if they were to win and they and they don't ever have to work again. And they, I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, that's a pretty, and they, you know, are just have wealth beyond their wildest dreams. So, and that's yeah. how it's presented. So I, I still, I, that's another in the category of what is called irrational, but it's just, yeah. a, it's just a poor risk assessment. I, I used to, I used to say this as a joke, uh, as a joke, I used to say, well, you buy a lottery check, ticket and the chances are 50, 50, you either win or lose. Right. So, <laughs> but is that's different. That's different thing. But the, but the other so, thing I would want to comment on is that a lot of these, um, these, these bets or these these situations, they are in put in monetary or utilitarian terms, and I, I'm not sure a lot of our experience and experiences and and how we make decisions are necessarily in those terms. So. In economics, you always have to convert somehow whatever the benefit is that you're getting into some kind of monetary or yeah. utilitarian value. And it's not so clear to me that this is actually how people um, measure value. And in that case, does that mean that they are irrational? I mean, is it rational? Does rational mean that you have to measure everything in in, in a kind of quantitative way like this? Um I don't know, but um, I think people, a lot of people would disagree with that proposition. Yeah, but I think there is, so there is a very, so this, so there is a beautiful distinction here between values and the values of values, right? So things that you want to achieve and the value attached, you attach to, the, to those things. And that's probably a different story. So maybe it's not a good idea. So that's this question between pursuing certain goals and prioritizing within the goals. And I think these are two very different things. So 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 that's that that's not an answer. That's just saying where where the problem where the problem lies. I'm can glad I, you stop smoking, ask? Jan. I think that was a very rational decision. That was a very rational. Well, <laughs> I can tell you what uh, so one of the, the, the biggest drivers of that was uh actually my wife, she smoked as well from, from time to time, not as much as I uh, I did. And she tried to quit, and I knew that if I would continue, she she would start smoking again. So, 
at least I believe that's a little bit, there's a little bit of rationality in there. Now, uh, what one could say and what and, 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 and one reproach that one could make to jobs to be done, I think, and I would be interested in your view is that, well, okay, but that's a post-rationalization, right? So I behaved in whatever kind of way and I just behaved nearly willy or whatever and I quit smoking. Um, or I was driven by emotions. I, I love my wife. That's why I would do everything. So jump off a cliff, whatever. And in hindsight, I describe my behavior as, of course, a rational kind of chain of, of events. I think that that there is maybe something in there. Um, it, it, so, so would you see that kind of, yes, that is a challenge to jobs to be done, that people tend to kind of post-rationalize, that they kind of are bad at describing their own behavior, or do you trust kind of their reasoning in when they explain how they go about things or how they went about things? I don't think it would damage my definition of rationality, but I think it's just another factor um, that our, you know, how well can we trust our memories if we're yeah. using ourselves as an N of one, you know, um, I honestly don't know because uh, I would have to have, I would have to have somebody in parallel to be taking, who's going to challenge me on my memories? Yeah. Like who knows better, but I could be wrong, but I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, but as you described that, situation um one of the things that occurred to me is well certainly i i would believe you exactly what you said is that you you know you wanted you wanted your wife to quit for the best of reasons and so you wanted to support her in that but, but also i wondered if as a higher as a goal yourself you wanted to quit and you saw this as an opportunity as a catalyst where you two would sort of be able to support each other yeah and it's like even for yourself this gives yeah. it's like if you quit at the same time you have a you also have a little better chance to stick you both have a better chance to exactly stick with it. yeah yeah i mean Sounds i, I used me. to it, i used to enjoy it a lot so i really felt the negative effects of it so. all right so hey we're continuing our discussion next time uh, i think we're going to stick around a little bit more and just go on and talk about philosophy and enjoy uh, enjoy that episode next week I mean, we've been talking now for an hour 15 about the first point of my notes uh, about <laughs> rationality and how that leads to judgment. So maybe this is kind of a good thing to make some kind of a cut. <laughs>